I love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles he has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see his loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious... It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word. And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walton. Hebrews chapter number 1. Hebrews chapter number 1. We're beginning a study in the book of Hebrews, a very important book, and one that has been subject to a lot of questions as to who wrote it. It's uh, basically narrowed down between Paul and Clement, Apollos, and some may even think Barnabas. But uh, we're not told, and uh, what we do know is that it was written to a group of people who were very closely associated with the old style of the Jewish tabernacle, the temple, the sacrifices, and all of those things. And it is an answer for the New Testament to that which was given in Leviticus. So if you studied the book of Leviticus and the book of Hebrews together, you would be able to see a lot of what was being said. It would make a lot more sense because in the book of Leviticus, we're given the Levitical priesthood and what they were to do. And what we find is they had the five offerings and the seven feasts and the other laws and things that they were to do. And the priest had, there were so many of them because there were, the job was always going. It was an endless job. There was never any sitting down and saying, we've accomplished what we needed to accomplish. The best that the blood of bulls and goats and lambs could ever do was to push sins forward from God's wrath for another year. And it was pushed all the way to Calvary Till we get to the place where one day in the Gospels, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. In direct answer to what was said when Abraham was there, and Abraham had his son who was going to kill him, and the angel said, Wait, I've got this right here. Don't, don't do that. But before that happened, Isaac kind of got wind of, hey, we're missing something here. I see the wood, the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And the answer was, God will provide himself the lamb. And certainly, that's what John was referring to. When we get to this book, we see that it is a book that is strongly referenced in the early stages of the Christian's life when they were having lots of issues with you have to become a Jew to be saved and you know you have to be circumcised and they were adding things with the Gnostics and you know there were so many different uh, 
groups of people. And there's never been an end to the groups of people that want to try to pull you away from the lifestyle of Christianity and the life that's in Christ to a bunch of rituals and religious things that can never save you. It was probably written early on. And because there is no mention of the temple being destroyed, more than likely it was written during the time of the early church, probably A.D. 63, 64 in there, uh, up to before A.D. 70 when Titus came in and destroyed the temple. So that's probably the time frame of it. Now Hebrews, it just, it presents Christ high and holy and lifted up. It magnifies him. It magnifies what he did. It magnifies who he is in different parts, the prophet, priest, and king, and all of these things. Throughout it, from beginning to end, it is a book that will bring you hope of your salvation, hope of your prayer life, being able to enter into the the actual room where God is because the veil has been uh, rent in two. It's interesting because Genesis 1-1 starts off, in the beginning, God created. Now, that's that Hebrew word, Elohim, and it's a plural because it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And when it refers to the Godhead, it's always a capital G. When it refers to the gods of the world, it's always a little g. You know it's is referring to God because it will always be followed in the sense of when there's a uh, there's a verb attached to God in the beginning God created it's a singular verb in the beginning God Elohim this plural unity as a unity created meaning God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Ghost created this earth and we know that's true because different passages give credit to the different ones God created and then Without him was not anything made that was made, and Jesus is given credit. The Holy Spirit's given credit. When we get to the book of John, it says, "In the beginning, God sent forth." Or in the beginning was the Word. Excuse me, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The word "was" is a very unique word that denotes continual existence. He was there. He's here. He's the I am right now, but he was there. Because we're boxed into time and God's not, we have to think in realms of time. So he has been there and he's here. In the beginning was the word. It was already there, already existent, like in the beginning God. No explanation, he's just there. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Okay, yep, as part of that plural unity. Listen, and the word was God. He is continual God. He did not give up being God when he came in. This uh, this epistle, Hebrews, starts off God. We write there the first word, God. Now, there's a lot of uh, the, the prophets that say uh, the word of the Lord came unto. But this is very powerful because it says God. And then it has a comma and gives us a little bit of information. And, but it, what it tells us is he spake. God spoke. Amen. God spoke. And we're going to deal with that in our next broadcast. The first four verses is one sentence in English and in Greek full of clauses that describe an incredibleness of God wanting us to have his word. Hebrews 
pictures Jesus. And he pictures him high and holy and lifted up. In fact, one author put it this way. He said, when you come to the book of Hebrews, it is a letter of adoration. It just simply exalts Jesus Christ just right out of the box. Just kaboom. The first four verses, it exalts our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Secondly, he said it's a letter of appraisal. And that is true. Jesus is scrutinized, evaluated, and compared. And he is looked upon, and he's compared to all of these earthly things that pictured him, but they just fell a country mile short. Our number of man is six. It falls short of the number of perfection, which is seven. We just don't match up. One of the words which says, uh, talks about our uh, being in sin, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word sin there is the word to miss the mark, meaning we take the arrow and shoot it and it falls short every single time. We needed Christ to pick up the arrow and hit the bullseye, and he did through Calvary. He said it's a letter of adoration, a letter of appraisal, and he said it's a letter of assessment. And that uh, means that he it's a letter of examining and looking and uh, seeing him for who he is. The Bible talks about our examining ourselves, uh, and it talks about, you know, see if we're in the faith, prove your own selves, know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates, if, you, if your reprobate is not in you. He said it's a book of admonition. Uh, it encourages or it exhorts the Christian. It encourages sometimes, and it exhorts. There is a multiplicity of times that we're going to see as we go through the book of Hebrews where you're going to see the phrase, let us. Let us. And that is something that we are going to look at because he's saying to them, and by the way, he said us, so he put himself in that. The, the author, let us consider some things. Let us look at some things. Let us put some things together. Let's make sure that we're doing some things. And so it is a letter of anticipation. It also gets us looking forward to the future. And we certainly want to look forward to the future. Hebrews 11 talks about that hall of faith. And he talked about those that died in faith that did not receive the promises. But he saw them but far off. And were persuaded to them, embraced them, and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims, you know, on the earth. But they kept going because they believed. They knew they were looking for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker's God. And they were good enough with that. They were good to go with that. They were fine with that. So we see this author's appraisal is kind of interesting. And it is. It's a book of, of evaluation. Okay. And, and, and it evaluates Jesus in uh, the word better. The word better is used 13 times times in the book of Hebrews. It's used in chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 6, verse 9, chapter 7, verse 7, 19, and 22, chapter 8, verse 6, chapter 9, verse 23, chapter 10, verse 34, chapter 11, verse 16, 35, and 40, and chapter 12, verse number 24. Better. He is better than the angels. He is better than Moses. He is better than the Aaronic priesthood. He is better, better, better in all of these things. Another word you'll find is the word uh, perfect nine times. 
Chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 9. Chapter 7, verse 19. Chapter 9, verse 9 and 11. Chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 40. Chapter 12, verse 23. And chapter 13, verse 21. He's perfect. And the things that God does is perfect, complete, mature, and just absolutely pure. And the word eternal is used eight times. What an incredible thing to have these wonderful words. There, He's better, he's eternal, he's perfect. How much better could it get than that? It just doesn't get any uh, better than Christ. You can't go any higher. The Supreme Court is our God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We go no higher. We can go no higher. It is a book of exhortation. And five times, and we will come across them. The first one will hit pretty quickly in the series because it's in chapter 2, the first four verses. But five times, he gives an exhortation about the Word of God. It's called a parenthesis. He's talking, and all of a sudden, he parenthesizes, says, oh yeah, by the way, let me talk to you about the Word of God and how it is. Because he starts off the book saying that God speaks. He wants us to hear him, and we hear him through the Word of God. So we see here that there are five places. First place is chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, where he talks about be careful and be diligent to not drift from the Word of God. And note the progression of these as we will go through them. The next one is in chapter 3, verse 7 to chapter 4, verse 13. Doubting the Word. You go from drifting away from the Word. If you get out of it and you're not in it, well, it won't take long for you to start doubting it because you're not in it anymore. And then in chapter 5, verse 11 to chapter 6, verse 20, the next parenthesis of, exhort, or, uh, of exhortation is dullness toward the Word. When you start doubting it, the Word becomes dull because you don't believe it. You've drifted, you've doubted, and then you're dull. And then chapter 10, verse 26 to verse 39, despising the Word. Ooh, now stop and think. Have you not seen that with people who get out of church and get out of the Word of God? They drift, they doubt. No, I, I don't believe that anymore. And they're dull towards it because they're out of it and the Spirit of God's convicting them to get right and they're not wanting to do that. Then there's no guiding into all truth. There's no teaching all truth. And so what there is is a bringing back to the memory that they are in sin and they can keep doing that. Then God can chasten them if they're a Christian until finally, uh, you know, they can make, find themselves uh, totally shelved or even taken home early. But look what happens. They begin to despise the word. They despise the very things they used to believe. And it's a sad thing that this world, the world, the flesh, and the devil, is a three-pronged enemy that's set up to, to pull us away from our prayer life and our having our devotions and going to church and hearing the word of God and having our Bible study times where we learn and we grow and we memorize and we meditate and we muse and think and just do all these wonderful things. But let me show you the last one. And my friend, this is the scariest thing that I've ever seen. And it's right there in your Bible. And we'll see it as we go through these five places of exhortation. Chapter 12, verse 14 to 29. Defying the word. Defying the word. Literally going against the word saying it's not God's word. It doesn't matter to the beans. I will be fine. 
And many people have gotten to that point where they absolutely defy the Word of God. I've heard people say, I defy the Lord to tell me what I can and cannot do. I defy the Lord to tell me he's there. I mean, it is incredible. So we see it is a book of, uh, of evaluation, exhortation. It is also a book of elevation. Elevation. We see in chapter 1 through chapter 4, verse 13, Christ, the superior person, better than the prophets, better than the angels, better than Moses. We see also that he's elevated because in chapter 5, verse, uh, or chapter 4, verse 14 to chapter 10, verse 18, we see that he has a superior priesthood a superior priesthood, better in its order, better in its covenant, better in its sanctuary, and better in its sacrifice. Far above any and all those things, he is better. And then the application part is chapters uh, 10, verse 19, to verse uh, chapter 13, and we find the superior principle the superior principle. In the application part, we see that this Christ who is a superior person, who has a superior priesthood, also has a superior principle for us to live. Now, let me explain that to you. God gives us his word. Without his word, we wouldn't know what we are and are not to do. It's not all negative. There's positive and negative. It talks about when he, God breathed the word. And he, and he breathed out that word. He said he did it for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Two of those are positive and two of those are negative. He did it for doctrine. That's positive. Knowing what to believe. The doctrinal truths of what we believe. So that we have a f- solid foundation of who we are in Christ. But then he said for uh, correction. We need to have correction. We need to be corrected when we're wrong. When we have wrong doctrine when we have wrong behavior if we have uh, instruction in righteousness i got them out of order but in the instruction in righteousness how to live right that's our behavior and conduct but we have reproof we need to be reproved when we do not do those things we know we are supposed to do we need to have a solid doctrine we need to have a solid character we need to have a solid conduct and a solid duty And we need to have how to live our life. Well, you know and I know that many things come up in our lives that are not in the Bible as far as the actual event. You and I both know that uh, in our day and age, should I buy uh, this house or live in this house? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically whether uh, buying a house is wrong. It does talk about debt and it talks about being in debt. We get that. Or should I take this position in this job? Or should I do this? You and I both know that we have to apply principles of the Word of God. Is this job going to do anything that hurts me against my Christianity? Will it do anything that will cause me to maybe drift from the Word of God? And they begin to doubt His Word and go down that slippery slope to defying the very Word of God. I remember very, very much so, and I will never forget this, that we had a man in our church, and I was the associate pastor of this church back in the 80s. And and, uh, this man had a bus route, and it took two buses 
to collect the kids. He had been on it forever. He had worked this bus route for as long as I could remember. And he was up there in age at this point in time. And uh, he had to, I guess he would alternate which bus he'd be on as they uh, went to the places and picked up the kids. But what a, what a ministry he had. Well, he, uh, he got a, a promotion at his work, and uh, he turned it down. And after the third time, they said, if you turn it down this time, you will never be asked again. And he turned it down. And his reasoning for turning it down was he would have to work Saturdays, and that was his day to go out and visit the kids. I know I, w- I had a bus ministry when I was 16 every Saturday, 9 o'clock to noontime. I was out knocking on the kids' doors and going to new doors. And sometimes some of the kids would follow me, and they would help me to be able to talk someone into coming on the bus at least once and coming to church. And then uh, I would go to McDonald's and have my lunch and then go home and get ready for the youth activity for the night because I did the music in the youth activities. And we would have a nice activity, then settle down for a time of music and testimonies. And our pastor had taught us young people who were saved Listen, you give your testimony if you brought somebody. Give your testimony anytime God tells you to, to give it. But if you brought somebody, make sure they hear from you what God has done in your life. Then our pastor would take and he would give a gospel clear message. And man, we saw people say, mm. I remember one time telling the Lord, I don't think I can talk to those kids over there. There's, a, there's eight of them and, uh, you know, they're big. And they could, I mean, I really, I wrestled that thing with God. I didn't mind one-on-one talking to somebody, but this was a gang of teenagers, and I thought I was going to get beat. I don't know why I just felt that way. I said, I know you're 15, 16 years old. And I remember going down the sidewalk. I remember kind of yelling up at God and saying, I'm going back. If I get killed, it's your fault. <laughs> I went back, and I started talking with them, and I invited them to the youth activity that night, and I said I'd come by and pick them up. And I was trying to figure out how I was going to put eight of them in my car, and I got there. Twelve of them came, and the really awesome thing was a, a good number of that twelve, a really good number, got saved that night. One became a missionary, but my friend one was killed not too long after, was killed. And I said, thank you, Lord. And I went back. Thank you, Lord, that you told me to go back. It is the superior principle of living. We live different. This man said, no, I can't do that. God gave me a ministry, and it's, it's what I love to do for him. And I'm telling you, there's nothing greater than doing those great things for God out of a heart that loves him and just say, God, I need you. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Mm. This book will be a great help to you, but it will also be a great uh, exhortation to you. And it will be a great... uh, exaltation and elevation and certainly it will show you some wonderful things one other thing uh, that I want to say it will be a great expectation because in it we see the focus on the future 
we see the faith of the redeemed. We see the future laid out. We see what God did and what God's doing and how we ought to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together is as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The closer we get to Christ's coming and every day we get closer, we need to be in church. So it is a book of evaluation and exhortation and elevation. It's a book of expectation. But my friend, it's also a book of exaltation. Christ is superior to the prophets. He is superior to the prophets. He's superior in his person. He's the prophet. He's superior in his creation because he's the creator. He's superior in his priesthood because he's the only priest who can sit down. He's the only priest who can say, it is finished. None other could ever do that. And he is exalted in his royalty because he is coming back king of kings and lord of lords. The prophets were men that were called by God. There were many of them. They had, did not have the total message. They just had messages from God. And there were false prophets that came in. And the Bible talked about, you know, those that come in and don't to try to seduce you away. You take them out to the city and stone them. Deuteronomy 13 talks about uh, that in several instances. One about the false prophets. And those were your friend, your bosom friend, or your wife that you love, or your kids. Anybody tries to pull you away from God, you stop that right at its tracks. But Christ was the Son of God, deity, 100% God, 100% man. He's the only Son, the one, the only begotten, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he has the final message for us. He has the message we need to hear. And everything we need to live soberly, righteously, and God in Christ Jesus, we have. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We have what we need right here. We have it in our lives. With those exceeding precious promises, according to his divine power, he saved us. And we spend all of that time doing that. If you are struggling as a Christian with these great principles of life, and who Jesus is, and how much better and superior he is, this time in the book of Hebrews will be a pleasant time. Because it talks about God speaking, and I'm glad that God speaks today. I'm glad that he gave us the word of God that we can enjoy, that we can meditate on day and night. The Bible said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, and standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Our Father, open our eyes to the book of Hebrews, that we may be stronger, closer, and more loving and endearing and exhorted and helped and comforted and encouraged to keep on keeping on in Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Walton. Have a yes, great day. I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what
what he said he would do How I love his precious word It thrills me through and through I believe every word is true Oh, I believe every word that he said is true I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do How I love his precious word It thrills me through and through I believe every You've been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. You can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.